This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. This week, we wrap up Cultivating Place's series on the healing power of gardens, and we kick off our Women's History Month. For every episode in March, Cultivating Place will highlight one of the women in my new book, The Earth in Her Hands, 75 Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants, which officially published just two days ago on March 3rd, 2020. We start off with the work of herbalist and educator Tiffany Freeman. Tiffany is a registered acupuncturist, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, and a registered clinical herbalist, certified by the American Herbalist Guild. She is the co-founder and co-director of the Lodgepole School of Holistic Studies. She joins us today from her home in Calgary. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you so much, Jennifer. A pleasure to be here on your show. So let's start off with you describing for listeners what your practice, especially as it relates to plants, as it relates to plants, what that involves on an everyday basis. What do you do, Tiffany? Yes, of course. Well, um, first and foremost, my practice uh, is informed through the use of acupuncture um, primarily. So patients um, that I come in, uh, I do consultations with them. And through traditional Chinese medicine and other modalities such as Western herbalism, I find appropriate plants for what types of patterns, um, different types of conditions, ailments um, that they're working with, whether that's a physical or mental emotional stuff. Um, And with that, um, I tailor my formulas for patients, um, for clients as well, and that aren't coming for acupuncture. I'll also see people for herbal consults. And I tailor specific remedies for them. Um, Some of those remedies I'm making on my own. um, And some of them I'm also purchasing larger quantities of and compounding them in my home-based apothecary. I can't wait to get into more of the details on all of this, uh, especially as I have followed your work since interviewing you uh, for the book. But Before we get into that, let's go back a little bit and have you tell listeners about your earliest influences and the the people and the places and the plants that grew you into a person for whom this would be your calling. Where were you born and raised? And tell us about your your origin stories. Oh, yeah. I I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is the center of Canada. Um, to a father that's uh, First Nations uh, Cree, um, Treaty 1 territory, just outside of Winnipeg, and to a mother who grew up in an adopted Mennonite family. So two very unique, different backgrounds kind of colliding together. Um, But there was a common um, thing between, or a thread between the two of those, and that was a connection to the earth and sustainability the Mennonite family that my family or my mother grew up in gardened and used plant remedies from their yard or from the surrounding areas. And having moved to Canada as a young child and, I guess, first generation, um, my grandmother, uh, she got to learn a lot of different plants within her, in her environment. And so she was a part of... Um, you know, a group of, of women that took care of each other and her husband um, died quite early when the children were really young. So she had to be very self-sufficient and also help uh, with great help from the community. 
And with that, resources were, were quite slim. So she um, used what she had available, um, whether that was rose hips. Um, that was one of my sort of biggest memories is walking with her and collecting rose hips because she had developed um, some lung conditions. And um, also using plantain because Winnipeg is notorious or Manitoba is notorious for mosquitoes. And so she would wrap my feet in hands that were badly bitten from playing outside in the dirt and in the ditches and um, with mosquito bites, she would cover those up while I slept at night. And those are my earliest memories of being taken care of in that way. And just uh, that interaction with the environment and the earth, um, that it can provide this bounty for us as well. Um, so my uncle, uh, who had, had done a PhD in history, decided that he wanted to get into more of an earth-based um, sort of sciences. And so he went into uh, the field of herbalism. And so as a child, I grew up with, you know, different remedies being given. Um, when my first moon menstrual cycle came, uh, along came with um, that, like packages of tea for me to consume and to help aid in symptoms um, and to support my body with the greens products that he had produced. So those are my earliest influences. And on my father's side, there was a tradition of that that um, through colonization and uh, residential school system had you know, been lost a little bit as well. So my journey into getting back into the indigenous plants um, of my culture and my environment um, started out actually through my family that came here from, from Russia. And then that opened up the, my eyes to the other side of my family in terms of the wealth of knowledge that was still there. Um, just a bit more hidden and a bit more deep. Um, so that influence um, led me to study with um, an elder, um, a Cree elder who's from Alberta, so a couple provinces away. And she took me through probably about a decade and a half worth of mentorship through earth plate-based practices and um, ceremony as well. And so that really helped me reconnect to that source that I had kind of lost within family, or it wasn't passed, being passed on, sorry, through my family. Um, and since then, many of my family members have also kind of reclaimed um, their traditions as well. I love that connection you just highlighted right there, and that your re-engagement um, and reacquaintance with this knowledge and um, plant relationship then inspired and rippled out to other people being able to, f to follow that reacquainting. So you have these great, very different cultural backgrounds that come together in your life and both cultivate this sense of the, the power and importance and resource relationship that we have with plants. Talk about where you then go on to study, because we bring in a few other um, lineages here. Yeah. Well, my, my journey with health, as I mentioned, started early, and, and that kind of piqued my curiosity. Um, as I became a teenager, um, or entered my teenager years, I um, kind of was very a bit more rebellious, and not necessarily rebellious in terms of doing thing, bad, bad things at home, but I was more... Um, 
drawn to kind of that counterculture. Um, I became more political, um, you know, listening to lots of punk rock music and that kind of wanting to go against the grain and challenge the system and brought me into actually vegetarianism at a very young age. And it was through vegetarianism that I started reading different types of magazines um, and becoming really interested in health in general. Um, I've since then changed dietary paths and, um, you know, eat more of my traditional type foods um, as a Cree person. But um, that was sort of the peak for me, just starting to dip my toes into reading books about health and nutrition. And that, um, yeah, opened my eyes into a whole other field. And I think it was probably in my early 20s, I decided that I wanted to be a herbalist. And so I researched herbalism. And um, obviously, my uncle was a herbalist. So I knew of the school that he went to and found a school that was um, close by. Um, I had to move cities, but it was the closest one to me. And I started to study with um, Dr. Terry Willard of the Wild Rose College. And that was a very incredible experience for me in terms of learning about plants, learning about plants of this land as well. I live on um, Treaty 7 territory, and the plants are different than where I grew up um, in Manitoba. And so it just opened my eyes into so many things. And um, from there, my um, passions kind of diversified. Uh, partly due to the influence of, of, of Terry Willard, he um, is a, a man that is so interested in many different areas, and his knowledge is very diverse. Um, in terms of the scientific aspects and um, indigenous perspectives, um, different cultural perspectives. He studied Chinese medicine as well. And so he brought all of that into the classroom. Um, so when I finished studying with him, I had um, was doing an internship uh, with a Chinese medicine doctor. And from that introduction that I'd had with Terry, I'd already had kind of really dipped my toes into to Chinese medicine. Um, and from there, I just became almost uh, obsessed with it. I had to learn. And so I ended up actually shortly after going to school for four years studying Western herbalism, I went for another four years to study traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. Wow. Okay. I was going to ask you that is to tell listeners just how many years were involved in each of these fields of study, I want to ask a little bit more about each field and what you studied specifically in each one. But maybe you would rather I wait till you finish your educational pathway. What what would you prefer? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's just a couple other things I could mention in terms of education. Just yeah, continuing my education for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the process of going through traditional Chinese medicine school, I was also mentoring with my Cree elder, as I had spoke about, um, learning about the plants of our area um, that we live on on Treaty 7 territory, and also learning about ceremonies and different types of um, more of a spiritual type of healing practice as well, where you're using hands and energy and prayer and ceremony in order to help with different types of transformations with others, um, just the practice of holding space, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Um, so during that process of going to school, I was it was a very busy time in my life, and I continued to study and practice other ways. Um, after finishing um, traditional Chinese medicine school and becoming licensed in the province of Alberta, 
the um, direction that ended up sort of pulling me into was um, a whole other new system of acupuncture. And so I, I met this woman who was um, a very amazing teacher and um, kind of a um, trailblazer, the field of acupuncture, who was from California. And she came up to Vancouver, Canada, and uh, did a series of workshops. And I studied with her every month for, I believe, it was about six months. And so she passed on um, teachings from a lineage, a different lineage of acupuncture than I studied. And um, the lineage is Master Dong, Master Ching Cheng Dong um, acupuncture. And he had been... Um, exiled from China because uh, during the Cultural Revolution and had taken his traditions that had been passed down to him. And I believe he was 13th generation. I could be wrong, but I believe it's 13th. And he went to Taiwan and decided to share that outside of the family lineage. So that was, a, I felt like a very big gift. Um, and it's still the, the practice that I follow within my clinical uh, practice with my patients is, is using his techniques and theories and then on top of that, uh, I've been studying with uh, a woman out of uh, BC who teaches a practice called orthobionomy. And that's a whole other um, modality that's not based in Chinese medicine or in herbalism. It's more of a physical type therapy where you're using the body and um, helping hold sp the space for others to... Uh, resolve issues, especially the physiological stuff like, you know, sore shoulders or back and things, but also internal stuff as well. So it's, um, it's a continuous learning journey. And um, I'm always learning about new modalities. My patients are challenging me to learn more. Mm. Um, and also just learning from the plants as I work with them as well. And that changes and shifts. Um, yeah. It's very fluid and organic. Well, and it's so responsive um, as you learn, which is one of the, the things that I find so compelling is that so often so much of what we do or what we learn, you know, is isolated into these separate categories and titles or labels of, you know, traditional Chinese medicine or traditional ecological knowledge or Western herbalism. And in fact, there's mm -hmm. so much overlap in intention and foundational elements that you bring together so so beautifully so that it responds the best that it can to our ever-shifting needs and circumstances. And, and that is a holding space, from my perspective, that's Mm -hmm. Very powerful for for anybody to to see your your model like this. Oh, thank you. That's it's the important um, thing is to remember for us humans who are trained and have education to also sort of step out of the way. Um, I think that the learning is just about being there and holding space, and of course, having that body of knowledge you can share with others, but. Um, you need to also be very open and flexible and adaptive and um, realize that what I've realized is that there's a, a greater thing, that a greater mystery to things that, that I don't have the answers for, that I don't fully understand. And so it's just, it's a very humbling process to just step out of your own way and let things happen. And um, yeah, it's very fluid. Yeah. So one thing I'd love to ask is, uh, can you define for us or describe to us when you say Treaty 7 territory, describe what that is. 
Well, the Treaty 7 territory is um, comprised of different nations. Um, we have got the Blackfoot Nation, um, the Sutina, and also the, the Morley, Stony Nakota folks that are on this land together. Um, so we in, in Canada, we have treaties that were signed, um, and there's different treaty numbers in regards to, uh, or it's related to the the years or the, the number in terms of the order, I guess, that they were um, settled. I am Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Tiffany Freeman is a registered acupuncturist, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, and a clinical herbalist certified by the American Herbalist Guild. She's co-founder and co-director of the Lodgepole School of Holistic Studies. We'll be back for more after a break. Stay with us. Hey, so a lot of you have asked me some questions about the book, how it came to be, how it came to pass that I actually got it written and it's actually now published. Well, when Timber Press reached out to me with the formidable proposal to write a book on the current state of women in the plant world, I was mm, honored, excited, scared, and full of ideas. I determined to focus on the diversity of the ways that horticulture intersects with our everyday world and to focus on the work of women who've enriched and expanded these intersections in just the last 25 years, thereby helping us as people and cultures to grow. This book represents my own 54 plus years of observation, questioning, interviewing, learning, trying to understand, and a full year of writing. It consists of relatively short profiles on 75 women doing current and innovative work, often representing larger issues or shifts in our world, in all things I count as horticultural. These include botany, environmental science, landscape design and architecture, floriculture, agriculture, social culture, plant hunting and breeding, seed science, gardening, garden writing and garden photography, and finally, public garden administration, research, and public policy. These are all good things to think about in Women's History Month and in our green world. More on the process of the book in podcast breaks this entire month. I really hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoy bringing them to you. Now, back to our conversation with Tiffany Freeman. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back now with Tiffany Freeman, herbalist and educator, one of the 75 extraordinary women whose work is highlighted in my new book, The Earth in Her Hands. Moving back into the different modalities that you've been trained in and you intertwine to practice with. Can you give us a working definition of herbalism and what is what does that mean and how were you, what were some of the curriculum or curricula that you uh, studied under um, Terry Willard at the Wild Rose School? Can you give us a sense of that? Yeah, so herbalism is a practice of just living and working and um, being a part of the herbal realm of the plant kingdom. Um, the fungi kingdom as well is included in that too. Um, 
it's an interesting thing. Um, giving titles, I find, is, is strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, having many initials after my name, I think, <laughs> of myself as just being um, not those things. I just, I feel like traditional medicine is, is what um, I encompass, and that includes plants and acupuncture and all these other different modalities that I bring into that. So herbalism is just, it's another name for uh, working and living um, with plants, um, my grandmother, I could say she was a herbalist because mm-hmm. she knew what plants to use. She knew what was good for coughs and colds. And um, and now, we, of course, we love to define that as being more like a folk herbalism versus professional herbalism. Mm. Um, so there is that defining or it can be that defining factor. Um, I think traditionally all peoples were herbalists and um, herbalism was just a part of our daily life in the same way that food is a part of our daily life. Yeah. Um, in terms of studying at Wild Rose, um, we learned a lot of different things about plants. And, and, and I mentioned the, like the scientific aspects. We learned about the spiritual, emotional components of those things as well. Um, energetic properties, directions that those plants uh, move through the body, combining how they work together synergistically or opposing um, different types of interactions that are positive or negative um, that we would maybe want to influence, like mm-hmm. certain plants will help bring other plants to another area of the body. So that 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 was the primary herbal stuff. But then we also got d- deep into the science as well, getting to know the, the human body and how those plants are going to um, interact when we consume them. Um, so what organ systems that, that they are more related to or are more affected by those herbs uh, or the influence, maybe a better word. So we talked about anatomy, physiology. We did um, a lot of science stuff. We, of course, we did botany as well. So how to identify plants in the wild and also in within like um, dry form as well. In order to, if you are not a herb farmer, um, how do you identify whether or not you're getting the right thing? Yeah. Are you just trusting that the you know producer is shipping you this, the right product? How do you know that's good quality? So we learned all of those, um, those things and, of course, so much more. Yeah. And so, you know, there are these different schools. Um, When you think about your Western herbalism training, and then you, um, Terry Willard, apparently, was very good at incorporating quite a few different schools of thought and uh, histories and traditional methodologies together. Is there a way that you can illuminate for listeners some of the elements that were brought into your training through the traditional Chinese medicine that were different somehow and rounded out your Western herbalism approach? Yeah, the the introduction of meridians, um, that perspective. We studied a little bit about meridians when I went to Wild Rose College, um, but Getting deeper into that knowledge and understanding of how the meridians travel through organs and how the organ systems um, interact with one another, um, that was a really big thing. With that came um, getting deeper into patterns of differentiation. So when we're looking at different types of health conditions, say, for example, um, asthma. So we would label asthma, and I think in a Western perspective, there's usually just a few treatments that you would do. 
um, from a traditional Chinese medicine model, you're looking at that asthma from coming from different places. So whether or not that's directly related to the lung and the lung meridians dysfunction, whether that's related to, we say, the spleen, which is a term that we use that encompasses a lot of our transformational and transportational processes of the body. Um, or whether or not that's coming from like a base level energy, like the kidneys. Uh, so the patterns of differentiation was the, the biggest area. Um, and with that, um, we're also looking at energetics. So whether that's cold, whether that's hot, whether it's located in a different area, if it's internal or external, um, many factors like that, depending on on the person can shift and change. And so that changed the way that I used um, plants in my practice. Uh, they were more specific and tailored to people and not tailored to ailments. Ah, yeah. This then I think maybe kind of goes with this next question and that is that you've referenced a few times working with ceremony and prayer and song and incorporating that into caring for someone's emotional and perhaps spiritual ailment might not be the right word, but concerns or, or issues. Can you describe that and, and maybe why it's such an essential component to what you're doing and maybe also how plants are involved in, in that in any space? specific ways? Yes. Well, to start walking in the room. Um, so I have a treatment room here at my clinical space. Um, before I step into that room, I am calmed and centered. Um, my own right elders taught about how, uh, taught us about how we are to leave our ego outside, um, how there's no place for it in, in the work that we're doing. Um, so that, you know, stops the, you know, the processes of, of my own influences on, on what's going to happen. I don't have the same sort of attachment to the outcome um, or, or our preconceived notions of what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, the ceremony starts p- before I, I even enter um, during my, with my practice, um, uh, my clinical practice. I can smudge my room. I use particular herbs um, such as you know, sages and um, sweet grass and different types of funguses and tree resins and things that have been a part of my traditions and a part of ceremony. So the room is set with this intention that it's a sacred place for healing, for intention, for letting go of things. Um, I clean it between people so there isn't the same sort of residual type of energy. And by clean, I mean smudging the air of um, you know negativity, impurities, um, things that have um, been released and let go, those things become neutralized and they're not lingering in the room. So that's the room space, walking in, setting my ego aside, um, and myself also being smudged is also a very important part of that. Um, so I'm cleansing my negative thoughts and energies from my own self and grounding and centering before I enter in that space. One of my elders spoke about um, the importance of um, recognizing that we have different types of energies Um, and he kind of equated it to different types of gasoline that make our bodies run I can't give you my own gasoline to help your body run um, and you can't give me your energy or your gasoline to help my body run 
So it's about holding a space for someone to help them cultivate um, their own energies again. So the ceremony creates that sacredness of that space um, where that healing process can happen for that person. Um, and then the ego isn't involved, so it's not me who does the healing, it's, it's the individual. I'm creating a space for them, I'm helping them with different types of plant tools or plant medicines or allies, um, and, but it's them that do the work. So the ceremony comes in with, with that intention, um, and then with the practice as well. Um, when people are on the table, I'm, I'm, I will often go into um, traditional song or prayer in my own mind. Sometimes that comes out loud. Um, through my culture and tradition, sometimes that also means that um, things like the rattle or feathers or different types of drumming things may come out during the session. And also in the preparation of plants. So the medicines that I have on the shelf that I've made are all um, prepared in a really specific way. So even stuff that I've bought from suppliers or farmer friends, they still get um, smudged, so purified and cleansed. And then when I create new products, it's exactly the same thing. So I don't go into my apothecary to do work, uh, formulating or preparation making um, without setting um, an intention to leave my own personal baggage outside and to come in with a pure heart and uh, pure spirit. Mm -hmm. In your apothecary, can you give us a, a description of some of the plants you grow yourself and the ways that you might prepare them for different um, reasons or treatments? And then maybe some of the ones that you that stand out to you as those that you might get from local farmers or other trusted producers. And when you say you prepare them in these different ways, give us a sense of the kind of range of ways that you prepare them in order to uh, incorporate them into the care of your, your clients and patients. Well, my apothecary is full of um, tinctures and dried plant extracts. Um, there's also uh, flower essences and mushrooms and powders. Um, that, those are the things that I'll use as tools to make um, other products. Uh, some of the stuff that I get to grow, they grow in my garden. Um, Monarda is one, so bee balm, um, one that I really love growing. It smells it so lovely, and it brings in the bees and pollinates, and it's so it's just such a pretty plant. Um, my, one of my favorite things is to have that on hand. Um, so I grow it in the summer and I do a oxymel preparation. So that's a, a vinegar and honey extraction. Um, so Monarda is really good for the coughs and the lungs. And so I make sure to have that on hand quite often. Other things I make would be tinctures. So that's an alcohol-based extractions. I do some other vinegar extractions. I like to have options for people who don't consume alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll do, you know, bitters formulas. Um, I'll take different um, things that I'm growing in my garden, whether that's chamomile or whether that is um, uh, like gentian, and I'll, I'll do a vinegar type extractions with those and then put those into a combined bitters formula. Um, even things like... I'm getting from my friends or farmers, um, I'll also make that into tinctures or vinegar extractions, depending on the best way to prepare the particular plant. 
Other products that I come up, I make is salves as well. Um, lots of different salves for healing skin, topical applications, things like calendula is really wonderful. And I always make sure to have a ton of it growing in my garden, um, specifically for making oils. So that's another thing that I, I really like making are oils to use, you know, topically um, plantain oil. Um, I don't plant the plantain. It just volunteers itself in my home, my yard and garden. <laughs> and so I, I use it. I make a nice fresh oil extraction with it. That's a plant gets macerated in. Other things I'll make are like things like flower essences as well. So um, even things that maybe I wouldn't use as an internal medicine um, at like a full strength, like a tincture or a powder or a pill, I could make into more of an energetic type preparation. So things like bleeding heart is one of my favorite to make. Um, crane spill geranium. There's, um, I'm trying to think of all the plants. There's lots of little plants, so Solomon many, yeah. seal and <laughs> things that I love dipping into and preparing. Um, my apothecary also is home to drying out plants as well um, because I live in a small inner city property. Um, it's actually quite productive still. And so I'll have lots of things drying like skullcap and different types of mints or lavenders and um, other herbs as well. Yeah. I really want to come and, and just see the apothecary in person um, and, <laughs> and explore. And it, it sounds like like much of what you do is making use of all of the different plant beings that are are that present themselves and so it there's some native plants there's some um non-native plants some you know what we think of as traditional herbs like mint or sage but then also some less uh well-known plants like the gentian or or the the plantain which is of course very common but is often i think just seen as a weed um Walk us through the Lodgepole School and describe what it is and how it functions and its natural uh, client base or, or, yeah, community. Well, Lodgepole School was, was started by uh, myself and my business partner, Jean-Anne Lang, who was also a uh, clinical herbalist. Um, we both were educators at the Wild Rose College. So both of us attended school there, finished our herbalism um, diploma, and then went on to become instructors at the college. Up till about, I think it was 2013, the college, Wild Rose College, had gone to um, an online-only type of um, curriculum. So when I attended there, it was live in-classroom courses with instructors and um, so that that kind of left a bit of a um, just a space and a, a want for classroom education um, in Calgary where I'm living, and so Jeanne and I decided to continue with some of the Wild Rose courses that we were already teaching, and in a partnership uh, with Wild Rose College, would host them live. So students could have a choice between um, taking the classes through correspondence or they could also take them with us or do a combination of both. Or students that have done it online could have audited. So that's how Lodgepole School started. Um, both we just wanted to continue teaching and being in the classroom. Um, since then, it's kind of evolved um, to different types of workshops and it's sort of evolved according to our own 
personal interests. So um, Gina Ann Lang is very much into cannabis education, and she's been writing courses and curriculum for medical doctors and suppliers and growers and distributors um, because cannabis in Canada is fully nationally legal. So she's been, that's been her primary focus. And then mine has evolved just, of course, with my practice. Um, my practice is primarily working with people that are um, menstruating or having babies, and then naturally that went into pediatrics. So it's been primarily focused in those areas. Um, so that has brought in a lot of other courses like pregnancy courses, pediatric courses, um, herbs for sexual health and well-being courses. And then on top of that, also um, Lodgepole School has become a place where um, we want to have more community involved. So getting the community together, I started um, a class called Folk Herbal Revival. And it was this... Uh, sort of desire to get people that weren't herbalists that were just interested in, in learning a bit more about plant-based things to come and to hear the talks and also to contribute as well. So they were, you know, two to three hour, a little bit of lecture, a little bit of conversation, community conversation about plants and different subject matters, whether that's um, children's health or herbs for grief and anxiety, um, herbs for menopause or herbs for menstruation, and it's also involved in bringing in other traditional aspects as well, too, like Cree traditions. So we have held, um, you know, awareness about um, endangered plants and um, protocol and respect for native plants and how to work within indigenous communities, you know, sort of a um, decolonizing our herbal practices um, conversations as well. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Tiffany Freeman is a registered acupuncturist, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, and a clinical herbalist. She's co-founder and co-director of the Lodgepole School of Holistic Studies. All of her work is informed by her traditional indigenous family background. We'll be back for more after a break. Stay with us. So continuing to talk a little bit about the process of this book... The women whose work is represented in the book, to me, are signifiers, people who are creating and often reintroducing us, as Tiffany is here, to some transformative worldviews and interpretations as to how the many challenges of our world can and are being met by women advocating and cultivating a more connected and understood interdependence on and in relationship to plants. From my seat, it's something of a rebirth in many sectors. And like all birthings, this one is being sung, screamed, crooned, whispered, hummed, and rocked into existence by these distinctly female, in the broadest, least binary understanding of this concept, voices. More good things to think about in Women's History Month and our green world. Now, back to our conversation with Tiffany Freeman. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back now with herbalist Tiffany Freeman speaking with us from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The 
classes and conversations that you talk about and host around different needs that you see in your community, whether they be the herbs for grief or pregnancy or sexual health and well-being as supported by the plants around us and the things we grow and cultivate just seems so intuitively right. Are there stories you can share with listeners about how effective these approaches have been for for you with your clients and and in your community to enliven people to this relationship and its power to improve things? Yeah, I think one example I can think of is um, a friend of mine who has been studying death care. Her and I got together over a Christmas holiday and um, became a part of this market that we have in Calgary called Market Collective and had a little table and had a few things like a zine and I had made some herbal um, grief care kits and she had some other things as well, little memorabilia and stuff that for her, um, for loved ones to, to remember them by. And we were just really creating a table where people could feel safe to come and talk about grief. And so we had a little sign that said, let's talk about grief in the holidays. And um, that conversation or the conversations that we had with people that came by were very profound. And with that conversation, uh, I was able to set them up with different types of, of, um, of kits and, and like a little grief care kit that had a tea and it had a, I call a dreamer self, something that you'd put on to help you sleep better at night. Um, herbs for calming and, and nourishing the heart all very gentle things, as well as like a candle um, to light and just to be contemplative and you know, to put some energy into that needed to be released. And it was very incredible how just bringing that to a space like that, the awareness um, that was that was created of others, um, how we can be supported by the community, that there are other plants that are also, I, I call them community members as well, are also supporting us. Um, so we got really good um, feedback in that, what people call and, and people would say, oh, I, I really would like to maybe have some more of that salve again, or can you make me those kits? I'd like to pass them out to other members in my community. Mm-hmm. And I just see, I hear in listening to you how that description of of that table and those kits and that conversation is the perfect illustration for what you mean by holding space. And it's clearing away what often distracts us and holds our attention, demands our attention, without us even recognizing that we have the option to say, that is not what I want to pay attention to right now. I want to pay attention and put my energy here. And that in and of itself, especially companioned by these supportive plants and and the ceremony of, as you say, lighting a candle or being intentional about what you're doing, it changes the energy of everything, Tiffany. Mm. Yeah. And there's, you know, I think about the great need of our larger environment, our 
not even our, the, you know, the other creatures who live on this planet with us, the soil, the plants, the wildlife, the water, and all of the different communities, and just how much grief and need and want for attention and care there is. When you are thinking about your work and all of the histories and people and cultures that inform it and have come down to you in this place. And you think about your hopes for the wider impacts of it personally and globally. How would you explore those a little bit? Well, it comes down to to my, my sacred name. Um, so I have a, a Cree sacred name and it's Aski Maske Iki Squio, and that means Earth Medicine Woman. Um, and Earth Medicine encompasses not only just plants that are on this on this Earth that we use as what we would imagine medicines, whether that's being made into a pharmaceutical medicine or what we would call a natural medicine. Um, earth medicine is is everything that is on the Earth. Um, so it's the rocks, it's the trees, it's the crystals, it's the air that we breathe, um, the fungi, and, and also all of the animals that are on the planet, as well as the creepy crawlies, all the bugs, um, all the birds, and importantly, all the humans. So this has been a, a big realization for myself and my own work is that in order for us to be on this planet and to um, live in a, in a good way with this planet, to, to realize um, sort of destruction or, or bad or not negative patterns that we may have in terms of our use of our resources, is to realize that that we are a part of that, that we are a part of this eskier, which is earth, um, and not something that can be considered separate. And as soon as you separate yourself from that, um, from our other, we call them brothers and sisters, our relations or all of our relations, um, we can see ourselves as, as being not an integral part and therefore our responsibility for those siblings of ours um, is no longer a priority. So it's reclaiming, um, you know, um, traditions, however that is, but it's also stepping into our own power and also recognizing that not only do we have these individual pursuits, but we also have a collective responsibility to each other to love and take care of our, each other, us humans, and also all of the other Eski or Earth elements on this planet. When you think about your pathway as a young woman and the different fields of study you undertook, and if there were words of advice or encouragement that you would offer out to home gardeners or nature lovers of any age or gender or already existing educational background who were interested in learning more or pursuing this what would your what would your words of advice be tiffany well, first is to just be out there with the plants to, if you can, um, you know, if you're in an urban environment or, you know, um, in an, an area where maybe growing plants isn't necessarily a viable option or it's just trying to go out to those natural spaces and to interact with them as much as we can. Um, in terms of, of learning, um, those are our first teachers. We say that um, plants are were created for people. This is one of our traditional sayings. 
um, as well as, um, you know, as for medicines, but also as our, as our relatives as well. Um, so being out there, spending time with them. And then in terms of education, um, when I went to school, there wasn't as much available as there is now. There are so many incredible resources online um, and in person as well. Um, different opportunities to study with some incredible plant, um, you know, plant medicine people, herbalists and botanists and um, horticulturalists and so many incredible books as well and resources out there, podcasts such as yourself, your podcast. So it's just to um, first you know, root yourself into those plants, get to know them a little bit, spend time with them as much as you can. If you can't grow them, maybe try some of them. If you can pick them up from a store, have some chamomile, how does that make you feel? That type of initial um, introduction to them. Um, and then there's so many options in terms of, of education. Um, and there's so many amazing opportunities these days to learn from people. Herb gatherings are a really great way to, to um, just wet your toes and to get to know a little bit about plants. And um, there's several of them throughout the United States, some incredible conferences that um, happen in all of the different states. So you're very lucky. Um, Canada, we don't have as many, but um, you know most provinces have at least one every couple of years. So those are great places, too, to meet other um, people that are really into plants and to um, learn a little bit about a specific area from people that are, that's their field and that's their passion. That is great, um, very good advice. And I know that it can be daunting. There are so many opportunities out there, and it might sometimes feel difficult to vet what are what are the best and what are the most um, efficient for what you're interested in. But I think the herb gatherings is a great um, directional. I asked every woman in my book uh, a question about if there was a plant um, or a landscape that spoke to them, um, whether it reflected who they wanted to be or reflected who they felt they were be or they just had a particular resonance with this plant, what would that be? And you had one of uh, my favorite answers. Will you will you tell people that what you what you submitted? Well, yeah. Well, my favorite is it was dandelion, and um, dandelion is of course an introduced plant to uh, to Canada to North America. But what I love about it is its resiliency, um, its ability to sort of just appear through the most um, drought stricken area, um, the cracks of sidewalks, the cracks of cement. Um, that's, it's, it has a rebellious nature to it. It loves to spread its seeds all over the place. Um, I love the fact that children like to spread the seeds as well, even <laughs> though my neighbors or people in the neighborhood can be quite unhappy about that. Um, I just love how it makes their seeds and the fluff fun, and that mm -hmm. that's one way that it makes it enticing to for a child or even a, you know an adult to spread this around the world. But the medicine of it is incredibly powerful as well too, and 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 telling of our times. So that's entirely the reason why I also really appreciate it. Um, it's cooling and it works on our, our our digestion and it's bitter and there's a liver tonic it's great for um you know, the meridians in terms of like um menstruation or um, flow of chi we call it um clearing out the heat and toxicities of our environment so it's 
got a strong resiliency, but it also has really potent medicine to it as well. Yeah. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been an honor to speak more with you. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, yeah, this is a very lovely time, and I'm very appreciative and honored to be uh, on your podcast and also featured in your new book, which is beautiful. Thank you. Tiffany Freeman is a registered acupuncturist, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, and a registered clinical herbalist, certified by the American Herbalist Guild. She is the co-founder and co-director of the Lodgepole School of Holistic Studies. She joined us today from her home in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Join us again next week when we head to Texas and the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center outside of Austin to speak with Andrea DeLong Amaya, the director of horticulture there and another of the women featured in my new book, The Earth in Her Hands, 75 Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants and this month celebrating women's history. There are so many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. The earth is in all of our hands, so take good care. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. Over on cultivatingplace.com this week, make sure to check out the many photos of Tiffany and her traditional healing work and plant practices as seen in the earth in her hands. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Executive producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.